Would you like a sneak peek of what's coming up at the Detroit Auto Show? Then stay right where you are. We're about to provide you with an in-depth debrief of what's coming up this week in Cobo Hall. The North American International Auto Show is one of the top three shows in the world. In fact, you could make a good case that this is the most important of them all. And the fact that it's the first one of 2010 is only going to attract all that much more attention. To get a good understanding of what's coming up this week, I've invited three colleagues of mine to join me for the show. Sarah Webster is the automotive editor of the Detroit Free Press. Guy Gordon is a news anchor for WDIV Local 4, the NBC affiliate in Detroit. And many of you already know Jim Hall, an automotive analyst with 2953 Analytics. We'll be talking about cars, design trends, the latest industry news, and what the future holds for the auto show in Detroit. The who, what, when, where, and why of how Cobo Hall is going to get revamped. All that and more coming right up after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to this edition of AutoLine Detroit, talking about the North American International Auto Show that kicks off tomorrow. And joining me right now are Sarah Webster, the Detroit editor, or I should say the automotive editor for the Detroit Free Press, Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics, and Guy Gordon, a news anchor with WDIV Local 4. Great having you all here on uh, the set of AutoLine Detroit. Good Thanks to be here. Thanks for having us. Sarah, let me start with you. Last year's auto show, boy, we were in the dumps. It was Deadsville. Car companies were bailing out left, right, and backwards. What do you think holds in store for us with the 2010 version of the show? I'm just excited we're going to be talking about cars again and not bankruptcy and bankruptcy and is there going to be a bankruptcy. I'm just glad we're going to be talking about cars and electric cars and practical cars. I think that this year's show is going to be about What's practical? The automakers have sort of gotten away from really crazy concepts, and I think we're going to be talking about cars that people want to buy um, very soon. Guy, you looking forward to the same thing, talking about cars and not all the troubles that the industry faces? Well, think about a year ago at this time. We were talking more about the corporate aircraft the executives were flying than the actual cars they were debuting. So thank goodness we've departed from that, though I will be anxious to ask Nancy Pelosi what she flew in here on. Um, That's a good point, because Nancy Pelosi is shows, she supposed will, to show she up She will be arriving. The House Speaker will be here with perhaps a, a gaggle of lawmakers, and you know, I look forward to having them actually see what we do rather than just throwing stones from the cheap seats. But I, do, I agree with Sarah. I think it's great we can talk about cars again. We're going to talk about practicality. I think we're also going to talk about uh, power plants and, and, and engines, which I think uh, will be an interesting subject for a lot of folks because we'll, we'll be talking about things that they can really understand and that will make an impact on their pocketbook. We have consumers out there that have a lot less money than they had last year at this time, and I think that's going to be a, a big issue as well. Jim, you're the product guy. What do you think is going to stand out at the show? What are you looking forward to go look at? Well, the psychotic in me is looking to see the CTSV coupe because the idea of a really nice looking two-door car with oh, 553 horsepower, that's pretty appealing. It's also noise in the system. 
Uh, if you talk about what's significant that's there, to be sure, you know, Ford's got some product. It's going to be the first uh, viewing of the Fiesta here for this part of the, the world it was out in Los Angeles. That's a big deal for them. Um, maybe not volumetrically, but from an image standpoint about where Ford's going. We're going to see the new Escort, our Focus, Freudian slip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I, but the, At least you didn't call it the Pinto. No, I didn't. Yeah, you know, you're Pinto. moving into the but, right But I have millennium. always sort of thought of it of, as, as the Escort because I, the, the whole thing when they renamed it for the C-170, uh, they debuted the car at the at the Frankfurt or the Geneva show. They didn't have the name finalized at the show. Well, you know that has been a, a bit of a topic of discussion around our shop. Is it why Fiesta? Because those of us with you know a, a few lighter colored hairs on our heads don't remember the the original Fiesta very fondly. It, remember though, there's no such thing as a bad name for a good car unless you're going to say call the car something like Monkey Puss or Nine well, Car Accident. And the, and the Malibu certainly raised is a great example of that you can enhance the value. Of and, and the Lacrosse has transcended the last Lacrosse. So so the car under the name is probably more important. Ford has put some bad names on cars before that still did relatively well for a while. The Probe. You know this is not a good name for a car. Well, no, 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 no. Aside from that, but it also, it's the idea that it's, it's unproven prototype and so on, as well as the other connotation. This isn't a good name for a new vehicle. You know, but I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt. I'm a little bit younger than you guys, just a little bit. And I Fiesta, you know, it's all new to me. Well, and I it's going to be. And I had a good, I went California and to me, it's not a bad name. It's a good name. I had a first-generation Fiesta. It sounds S. like a side order at Taco Bell. I am sorry. <laughs> it's, there are other things that could have a that could save value better but, than. But the I'm with Jim. As long as the car is good, and I've good. driven the car. The car is absolutely. It looked terrific. better when they called it a Verve. Rem uh, but remember, Ford also were the guys that brought up the successor to the Fiesta that was called the Festiva, and they replaced that with the most inappropriately named car sold in the United States, the Ford Aspire. <laughs> yeah, another bad one. Sarah, at the show, as you know, they're going to have this display called Electric Avenue. Mm -hmm. What do you make of this whole thing? I mean, do you buy the hype, which I'm calling it, you know, and we have Nancy Pelosi coming in, as Guy just mentioned. What do you make of the whole Electric Avenue and all the electric movement that's going to be at the show? I think it's truly exciting to have um, this movement occurring in the auto industry, but I think people should bring notepads and write down the names of the car companies showing vehicles like CT&T United because mm -hmm. I find it hard to believe that in a few years these companies that are burgeoning and aspiring to deliver mainstream electric cars are even going to exist. If they have anything worth offering, I think they're going to be bought by a legitimate car company and their technology is going to be used in another way. But I think, but you know, they're important to be there because they're the they're pushing the industry in a new direction in earnest, and I think that it's a long time overdue. And so I think people should go and enjoy the excitement of all of that and, you know, see what's coming and has potential and, um, and take note because I, I don't think some of these car companies are going to last. So you're saying to write down the names uh, in, in the same way that somebody might collect or hold on to old baseball cards sure. because in the future you could know. win you a yeah. trivia contest in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's some really of them are going to last. No, it's not. It's it's about the DADA getting the number of debuts up, which is a great thing. And you want to try to maintain the prestige of a show in a really crummy year. They have invented something that I think is at least a legitimate showcase for the electric vehicles of the future, and they are going to drive up their numbers. They get to maintain their their sanctioning, or at least not put it at risk, and they put a little bit more of a, of a you know, a panache on the show. Good packaging by DADA. Of, yeah, of smart move in there. You know yeah, what it is? Sure. It's marketing. Sure. It's marketing. You know, in the 21st century, the second decade is the marketing war for this industry. Because you can have the best product in the segment if you can't adequately merchandise it. 
but nobody's going to know. It's also a way to get the Nissan Leaf here and some other yep. vehicles that otherwise might have bypassed your show entirely. That's a great point because Nissan's pretty much dropped out of auto shows yeah. for the time being. This is the but only that auto show that the Nissan Leaf will be appearing at, and we'll be at other venues, other expos, but this is the only auto show that's going to appear. Guy, talk a little bit too about the whole Cobalt Hall thing because a year ago, remember, you know, Monica Conyers and, and, and that whole gang were, were actually incredibly rude. In fact, telling people like uh, Doug Fox, the chairman of uh, the, the group, and Rod Alberts, who runs the whole auto show, to, to go home, to get out of town. A half billion dollar annual boost to the city of Detroit, and they were treated like carpetbaggers. It was one of the most uh, disgusting displays that I've ever seen, that you would tr create, create a, you know, treat a business like that as, as poorly as they did. But that's behind us now, isn't it? It is behind us now. And we, I talked to Tim Peters. Tim Peters says, you know what, the, the leaks... Tim Peters? Tim, uh, Tim Peters, who, who manages the General Motors exhibit, uh, says that they fixed the, 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 the leaks in the roof, even though as I looked up at, at Kobo the other day, some of the tarps are still up there. But apparently, you know, at least through this uh, freeze-thaw cycle, we're okay. Who knows what's going to happen uh, come Monday. But it's, those have been fixed. Apparently, there are some water lines that are in the lower part of, of uh, the main floor uh, that can service the exhibits. Those have been fixed. There are some electrical fluctuation problems that have been addressed. So a lot of the, $3 million uh, was spent initially all of it to try to fix some really nagging problems. We're still a long way away from being a world-class venue, if we ever will be, but at least some of that money was spent and, and they're seeing a benefit from it. He thinks next year some of the, the electrical infrastructure issues will really come online that can help them drop their costs. I, I think we are on our way to being a world-class venue. I'm very bullish on, on everything that's going on in the city of Detroit right now, and, oh. and especially I think they're gonna get Cobo Hall turned around pretty quick. But I think there's only so much you can do with the, the, the building that you have there. Unfortunately, Unfortunately. Now, the other thing is, is how you start to manage the people inside it so that you can bring the costs uh, competitively with some other venues in the, in, the, in the United States, which would love to steal this auto show away from us. No question about it. What's your take on the whole Cobo Hall thing, Sarah? Um, I think that Cobo is, I walked through there the other day to pick up our credentials. It's, it's charming in a you know, like my grandparents' house was charming, but it's in need of... Uh, well, we all know it's in need of yeah. repair, and, and I mean, everybody I, knows that. I and and that now they, they've established an authority to run it and not the city, because remember the last two oh. managers of Kobo are in jail now for kickbacks and corruption. Sure, I think that it, there was a time in the past year and a half of crisis that some people were even talking about whether auto shows would just wane in importance altogether. And I think that this show is going to prove that they're going to remain important. Therefore, you can justify the expense that, you know, to make this the facility it needs to be to showcase these companies that aren't dying and aren't going away. They're going to survive. And I am with you. I am completely bullish about this town and this industry. And people think I'm nuts, and I don't care. I think I'm right. Yeah, so, no, I, I, time will prove us right. Yes, they will. <laughs> I think we, we're, we need cockeyed optimists. We need more of that. Yep, I, and we, I, and we, can, we have the ability in the media to, to help infect other people because we need to sow some, some good news. The Kobo problem, though, part of it is a chicken and the egg problem in that if the facility isn't improved, you won't get the people in, but you can't justify a lot that you might want to do to it until you get those folks in. So until they break that, somebody basically has to do a hard break and say, we are going to do this and commit. Until that happens, I think we're going to find the thing basically in um, continuous modification mode rather than rebirth. I'm in favor of just a really big thinking project. You know, we go around the world and you see all these um, convention facilities where they, you know, take the best thoughts of their architects around the world and they deliver something that attracts tourists um, just to see the facility and whatnot. I think that Detroit needs to think really big about a Kobo replacement in a way that 
um, isn't just about the auto show, but it's about um, you know restoring sort of some pride to this town and this community with a great facility. And yeah, we have a huge chunk of property at Eight Mile and Woodward with the State Fair gone now. That it would be a, a, a nice little piece of I real estate. I hear what you're saying, but I think it's good to have it downtown, sure it close is. to the casinos, close to all the restaurants, close <laughs> to the hotels and the so bars and all that stuff. There, though, I it, mean, I know it is, but you know, uh, we had uh, Doug Fox on Out of Line After Hours. One of the things he talked about is they want to get local talent. They want to open up. Say, come on in, help us figure out, let's have a design contest and figure out what we can do with Kobo. Not just blow out some walls, not mm -hmm. just revamp Kobo Arena, but change the whole facade, change the entire look of, of Kobo. He says, we're not going to see anything this year. We're going to probably see some construction dust next year. But he says around 2012 is when we're going to really start to see mm -hmm. some changes there. And that's one of the reasons why I'm optimistic about where it's all headed. Well, I work downtown and I've been here in this town for 10 years and during that whole time, I've seen nothing but upgrades to the downtown of Detroit. And I just, I have, confidence that eventually this will be worked out in a respectable with, with the exception way. of what used to be the poncha train yeah, and I don't mean that as a joke. That that oh, is, Lord. you know, and think about its location relative to the convention facility. It should be, you know, it should be able to be made to work. And for some reason, I you know, if they can rehab the book Cadillac, if, you know, we, we need John Furchell to go in and take over the poncha train too, exactly. uh, and somebody with that kind of vision. Okay, let's go back to the cars because oh. that definitely is uh, the more exciting part. Jim, General Motors, what do you think are they going to put? What's their best foot forward in this auto show? The one that shows the different thinking at GM more than anything else is the GMC Granite. Because here's a product that you look at and, you know, there's, there's this sort of nascent sub-segment of vehicles, which are sort of the, the weird utility psycho boxes. Started with the Scion XB. You've got the Kia Soul. You have the non-automotive entry, of course, the Nissan Cube, which is, I think, called a mobile device. Um, in, the, in the advertising, the wheels don't turn as it's moving down the road. And I'm thinking, wow, that sure doesn't want to make me want to buy it. Um, but the Granite is, a, is another take on that vehicle. Which is a small SUV coming from uh, SUV kind of it's, it's really, it's, it's one of those gray area products. But it's distinctive looking, has a lot of character. You could use it to define sort of a postmodern GMC. And that's one of the reasons it's a very interesting vehicle. Because we're going to see a product come off that, that concept. It may not be quite as wild as what we see, but you're going to see something there. And GM needs to think about these, these segments that are not traditional segments that usually seem to be too low volume to justify to do a product, to use it as a catalyst product. It's like the other product GM needs is a, uh, a, a car they could basically position against things like the Mini Cooper. Who would do that then? Who Chevrolet? should do it? Who should do it? Yeah, who Buick. should do it? Because if you're going to do that kind of a product, you want it basically to be so out of character that it redefines it to Gen Y. You have to understand, General Motors and Ford and, and Chrysler are in a position where a lot of Xers have written them off. And no matter how much you spend, you won't bring them back into to buying or considering them. Go from the, the unplowed territory. Gen Y, their parents you know, drove those cars. or They drove Honda Accords and Civics. They might have driven Camrys. And you, the rule is you don't want to drive your parents' car. And that's why I look at the granite and I say, there's a Gen Y uh, potential capture car right there. Sarah, what are you looking for in this show? What do you, what, what really I am, do you think it's going from to From GM, I'm hoping to see a bit more focus about the four brands that are now the new GM. I think that um, Buick, to me, is still a big wild card for GM. I think they very clearly know what Chevy, Cadillac and, Sh Chevy and Cadillac are. GMC has a clear identity, but I'm a little worried when they start going with things like the granite that they'll be moving away from what I think GMC is very clearly defined and 
really it's a solid brand for them. Buick, I just think they're just throwing a whole bunch of stuff in, and I love the lacrosse. I think it's a gorgeous They vehicle. had a great sales month in it's, December. It's, oh, my sure Lord. I'll tell you what, I fell in love with the lacrosse. I think it's a, a sexy, everyday car. It's a and, transformative vehicle. And but then you throw things in like the Buick Regal and, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I, think, I think the Regal's going to work too, myself. But as a cohesive, what does this brand stand for? I think things start to get a little muddly. And when you talk to them, you know, you don't get a lot of clear, focused answers about what Buick stands for. And then they say it's an Acura fighter. And I'm like, well, who wants to fight Acura? <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I, I Acura just... does a good job of fighting Acura right <laughs> look, now. Look yeah, at the Regal so... GS that they're going to introduce oh. to the show. Because that is going to be the second, second generation Regal. And I think it's going to be just like the lacrosse. You're going to find Transformative. that this, the second one, you're just going to go, holy man. And this GS... You know, we you you start to we did a, a little reveal on it, and you start to pull it off, and you look at sport wheels, and then you look at a Buick logo on them. You go, well, now that's a disconnect. But that's disconnects that, are what Buick needs now. They need something I, that says this is what Buick is now, because you're not going to redeem it. I think they need not to muddle the message. But you you can't redeem it to the sixty to dead crowd. <laughs> I mean, for them, Buick is... Remember, they built the Century. It was the only car ever named after the age of the target demographic group. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll tell you, though, I think the most important car that I'm looking forward to seeing at the show is the Toyota Concept Subcompact Hybrid. To me, that is the potential game changer. Why? Um, Why? Um, Toyota's already the hybrid dominant brand in hybrid the hybrid segment. Yeah. Yeah. Toyota knows something, and that is that everyone who's looking for a hybrid, I'm sure, stops by a Toyota showroom, and they must be missing people who can't afford it. And so they're going down market a little more into that Fiesta-ish area, you know, and they're going to have a hybrid there. I mean, Ford's going to probably offer a hybrid in electric. They've already said, you know, hybrid and electric versions of the Focus Compact are coming. Mm -hmm. um, but I think they need a less pricey version of the Prius. And I think that that's what they're going to offer. And I'll tell you what, I think I'd be scared if I were some of these other automakers who are, some of them don't even have really credible hybrids on the market at all. That's right. Honda um, tried it, though, with the, the new Insight. But it's and, not that great of a car. But my it's point a is, that car. It, but it missed the target wide. Mm -hmm. Look at sales of it. You know, it, it's, it's cheaper than a Prius, but it is cheaper yeah. than a Prius, <laughs> not just less expensive. So they Well, and Prius did a good job of matching <laughs> the price then, too. They, they, they did. Yeah. They, they, they got aggressive back. You're right. But my point is that, that for them to go down market, I think, it, I think it's the thing to do. Don't get me wrong. But the question is, um, they have to make sure they have far better luck with it, far better luck with it than, than did Honda. Well, I think a lot of people walk in into a Toyota showroom and they're aspiring to a Prius. Not everyone can afford even, you know, what most people consider a sensible priced hybrid. I think there's a lot of people aspiring to a Prius. And if they can get them in something smaller and cheaper, even if it's a light hybrid, I think they're going to do that and they'll be smart See, about it. I think it. they need to leverage their stuff and, and move into a hybrid that will go up against the Ford Fusion hybrid bring it into a true mid-size vehicle. They have it, the can, Camry Hybrid, and it's got an upgrade coming. It where doesn't they're gonna have the same excitement that taking a Prius and making it part of a separate hybrid division within Toyota and instead of, because what we found is they, folks want to drive green, the Camry Hybrid, the Civic Hybrid, they didn't have the same success as this little Prius that yeah, the little Prius nice you know, the, the hybrid under itself. Making, though, is here, here we are a decade since hybrids first appeared. Right. So we've got a whole decade of them. And yet there's still 
only two and a half percent of the American market. And remember, America yeah. buys more hybrids than the rest of the world put together. Of that two and a half percent, one car dominates half the segment. That's the Prius. And probably half those sales take place on the West Coast anyway. So I, I understand you gotta, you've got to get into the hybrid thing. I understand. But, you know, other than Toyota, nobody does well. I mean, we all talk about how the well, Ford Fusion's going well, but they sell like 1500 $1,600 a month. Mm -hmm. Good for Ford, but that ain't going to get them on the road to recovery. So, you know, I, look, like I say, I, I'm all for the hybrid thing, and I really want to see what Toyota's doing with it. And, you know, Toyota has made the whole hybrid thing work, but nobody else has. Absolutely nobody else has. And, you know, uh, not to get off on a wild tangent, but until we see the true policy changes that are needed in our country to incentivize people properly to move to the vehicles mm. we all think people should be moving to, um, we're probably never going to see maybe, that kind of Maybe, growth. and the only reason I say maybe is gasoline and diesel prices are in Europe are $7 a gallon in Europe. In Japan, it's over 5 bucks a gallon. And but you they, know, they buy fewer hybrids than we do. I mean, Tuesday, interesting, Tuesday's Wall Street Journal front page story, three billion barrels of oil discovered off of the Gulf Coast that Chevron is now put, putting into production. The Bakken oil field in, in, in the Dakotas, huge reserves there. So, you know, just as we're bringing all these very efficient things online, the oil companies are going to find ways to start bringing more gasoline to you just as cheaply as you're getting it now, thank you very much, which then makes that payback period on those hybrids and those right. BEVs and thing, others. Now we have CO2 legislation as a component of the, uh, the fuel economy standard, and the but that doesn't make people want to buy them. No, I know. I, you know, I, you know what? You still, you've still that. got folks standing on a trap door. Before it was, hey, we're going to keep energy cheap for you, and you can keep producing those big SUVs. All we've done is, is made the trap door out of different material. They're still standing on it, and they're going to invest billions into alternative energy stuff that remember consumers won't necessarily die. Americans for. do not want smaller cars. American Americans want fuel-efficient cars. Right. And the guy that breaks the code, the DNA code, and does the mid-sized car that gets 39 miles per gallon is going to own the market. The issue, though, with this is to make people want to buy more fuel-efficient cars, there has to be a reward somewhere for the buyer sure. or for the manufacturer. And until that happens, what you're going to get is the same thing the first cafe gave us. The first cafe legislation is why we did over 50% trucks starting in 2001. It was a result of the CAFE legislation because it shifted where people were going to buy because people didn't want the cars that were coming out of the legislation. But what you say is you need a reward, not a penalty. Correct. I agree. Yes. And what that reward is, is it, there are a bunch of ways that can be handled, but you have to have the reward. Disincentives don't work. Incentives well, do. Well, maybe we'll get Nancy Pelosi to have a serious conversation on Electric Avenue when she shows up, and we can have some serious conversations about this because nobody has shown the political courage that's truly, truly necessary to to incentivize people properly to to buy these products. I'd love to see that discussion, and I think the Detroit Auto Show is the proper place to have that kind Absolutely. of discussion. Standing in and amongst those uh, electric vehicles. My, electric my concern avenue. is five minutes walking around all these electric vehicles could make you say, oh, we got it all wrong. We should just say electric vehicles for everybody. You know, it, the exposure at an auto show is not the same as, as insight or understanding. Well, that's right. She, she needs to listen as much as, as, as speak here. And we this know. The same woman, if you remember, I think she was talking about fossil fuels and said that yeah, natural, she didn't include natural gas as a fossil fuel. So, I mean, there's, there's a bit of a learning curve that she needs to be But on. all I'm saying is that we, we have to realize that this is, as much as we want it to be more, this is going to be essentially a photo op at the auto show. 
in no. the real world. That's what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's going to be a horrendous scrum that's going to be uh, television cameras and lights and microphones and reporters five phalanxes deep following her every move as she goes through the show. I mean, with... We saw that, remember, when Coker was here last year. Well, and Mitt Romney, and there was, and, and they, you, you had the scrums starting to bump into each other as, <laughs> as, as different presidential candidates were going we're to remember that. Floor. We're going yes. to different, yes. different hybrid that. vehicles. Hey, we're going to have to wrap this up. Thanks so much, Sarah Webster from the Detroit Free Press, Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics, Guy Gordon, WDIV Local Fort. Great having you all. And I'll be back in just a moment with some closing thoughts. Production of AutoLine provided by. We just covered a lot about the Detroit Auto Show that kicks off first thing tomorrow morning, but there's going to be a lot more details to fill in once the show gets going. That's why we'll be doing live webcasts from the floor of Kobo starting tomorrow at noon. We'll have automotive executives, reporters, and other experts coming on the show reporting the latest news live as it happens. It's almost as if we've asked you to pull up a chair and sit alongside us as we watch what's happening right from the floor of the show. You can catch it all at our website, www.autolinedetroit.com, on both Monday, January 11, and Tuesday the 12th, from noon until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You can catch it live or watch it later at your own convenience. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll be back here next week, same place, same time, with some of the best insight going on in the auto industry.